It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is the Locked On Reds Podcast. I'm your host, your cheap seat crony, your bench jockey with a beer. My name is Jeff Carr, bringing you the Reds every day. Hey, how's it going? And welcome inside the Locked on Reds podcast for this Wednesday. Happy Hump Day, Reds fans. My name is Jeff Carr. You've tuned to the only daily podcast for the Cincinnati Reds. Today, we're going to talk about a couple of things. We're going to look at the Chicago Cubs with a high-level overview of the team once known as the Lovable Losers. We're also going to look at Sonny Gray as he has developed with his elbow issue. Looks like it was just a minor thing, and we're going to get more into that as well. And then also take a look at an article in The Athletic written by C. Trent Rosecrans just kind of talking about the different coaches in each one of their roles. Before we get to that, make sure you subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher. And also check us out on social media at Locked On Reds and at Jeff Carr with three Fs. There's also the website, LockedOnReds.com, where we've got lots of great stuff up there. Go check that out. And also, don't forget that whenever you jump into the car, you can easily access the Locked On Reds podcast through your smart device. Just say, hey, Google, play podcast Locked On Reds, and then it'll play. Like I said, we're going to get to the Reds counterparts up in the Windy City, the Chicago Cubs. 2019 looks to be a bounce-back year of sorts, as last year they... Didn't really live up to expectations. Obviously, they lost out on the division to the Brewers, and it came down to a last-second wild-card game for the playoffs and all of that good stuff. Definitely not something that they expected coming into the year. Now, through the offseason, they have largely stood pat, and I talked about that a little bit with the Brewers, but the Cubs really have done so. I mean, when you look at their roster, their lineup is pretty much unchanged. In fact, the only person that is really different is going to be Daniel Descalzo. And even looking at him as a different option, he's really going to be coming off the bench. They're not going to be expecting every day at bats for Daniel Descalzo. But their lineup, as you know, it's going to have Anthony Rizzo at first. There's going to be Javier Baez at second, who's one of the best players in the league. There's no way around that. Shortstop, they're still looking at Addison Russell. Despite all of his off-the-field issues, he's still on the team and still looking to be a big contributor for the team. And at third, they'll still have Chris Bryant. And, you know, whatever number of different combinations that they move Chris Bryant around the field, he definitely doesn't just stay put at third. He does move around sometimes. And then the outfield, you're still going to have Kyle Schwarber. You've got Albert Almora in center field. And you've got Jason Hayward over and right or some form combination of that. They don't tend to keep a static corner outfield anyway. But... And, and then, of course, behind the plate, you got Wilson Contreras. So the lineup doesn't really change that much. And even on the pitching side, the pitching is going to be interesting. 
because when you look at the Cubs, especially the rotation, the Cubs rotation could very easily be one of the best in all of baseball. They've got John Lester, Hugh Darvish, Cole Hamels, Jose Quintana, and Kyle Hendricks. Now, when you look at those guys, all of them are pretty solid pitchers, but especially you, Darvish, is going to be coming off of a year in which he underperformed. He did not meet up to his own expectations, let alone the expectations that Cubs fans had for him. So they're pegging 2019 to be a comeback year for you, Darvish. And then you've got question marks in guys who are kind of getting on the other side of their prime, kind of in the twilights of their careers, if, if you so will. That sounds a little dramatic for it. But John Lester and Cole Hamels, you know, they've towed the rubber quite a few times in their career. And Jose Quintana's not getting any younger. And Kyle Hendricks, while he's good, I mean – you're definitely not considering him the best pitcher in that lineup. If he is the best pitcher in that rotation, then a lot has gone wrong. So it's not to say he's a bad pitcher. It's just the guys in front of him should be counted on to really carry the staff. So I think that is what fuels the just scatterbrained predictions for the Cubs because there's USA's, USA Today's prediction – that they will be the division winners. There's also the Pakota prediction in which they come in last in the NL Central. Now, I don't really think I see the Cubs as a last-place team. I definitely think they're better than the Pirates. And, you know, on paper, maybe they're better than the Reds. Maybe I can admit that a little bit. But I, you know, <clears throat> maybe not. <clears throat> anyway... The thing is with them, it's all about that pitching and how it rolls. Their bullpen was really the only area that they addressed in free agency. They and, and it's a lot of sneaky deals that they made to get the different guys that they have. They've signed Brad Brack, who was the former setup man in Baltimore, the guy that took over as the closer for a long time whenever – Zach Britton went down with an injury for a while. He handled closing duties for the Orioles there. And then they also added Junichi Tozawa, who was one of the setup men for the Red Sox in years past. They got Xavier Cedeno as well, a nice bullpen arm there. So, again, their bullpen is kind of like the rotation in that it's some guys looking for a bounce back, some guys looking to stick on with the Cubs and make a career out of it and that sort of thing. So, while they've got the names, the names come with it, question marks. They don't have the bona fide, just you know exactly what you're getting from everyone year in and year out anymore. I mean, I might be a, I might be a little harsh on John Lester. He may still have a few years left in the tank, but he's just getting to that point in his career where you're starting to wonder if a decline is possible, but he's still got the talent to be a Cy Young worthy pitcher. And he's definitely going to be called on to lead this staff. And as he goes, I could see the Cubs going in 2019. We're going to take a quick break here on the Wednesday edition of the podcast. You're listening to the locked on reds podcast. 
You're listening to the Locked On Reds podcast on this Wednesday. I'm your host, Jeff Carr. Thanks for downloading and listening to your only daily podcast for the Cincinnati Reds. As I teased at the beginning of the show, I was going to talk about Sonny Gray, and I even kind of teased it on Twitter last night a little bit. He has, uh, you know, he's gotten better. He threw a live batting practice session on Tuesday. Tuesday being an off day for the Reds, one of only two in spring training for the Reds out in Goodyear. And he said that he threw the live batting practice, had absolutely no no discomfort in his arm, and so he's ready to go. Now, when he was asked when he expects to get into a game, you know, he kind of gave the whole, like, ah, you know, I'll get in a game when I get in a game thing. It's you know, it's definitely not up to him. It's up to the doctors and the managers and all that good stuff. But I wouldn't be surprised to see him pitching before the end of this week because he's got to get up there on the mound and it sounds like he's healthy and ready to go. The thing that really got me wanting to talk about Sonny Gray is I saw this article in The Athletic. Now, it's by Eno Saris, a national writer for The Athletic's MLB coverage, and he was breaking down why Sonny Gray is poised to bounce back. Last year, season statistic-wise, he didn't have that great a season. His ERA approached five, and he was left off of the postseason roster for the Yankees. So that was kind of a red flag whenever rumors started to swirl for the Reds that they were going to go after this guy. Like, okay, so we're just gonna go bargain hunting here uh, right okay well whatever but I don't think it's that at all and in fact whenever you read the article if you subscribe to the athletic if you don't I highly recommend it but anyway if you subscribe to the athletic go check it out like I said Eno Saris wrote this article about Sonny Gray's resurgence and one of the keys to his struggles in New York and Bleacher Report made it seem as though Sonny Gray was throwing the Yankees under the bus and putting them on blast and all this other stuff. I don't think it was that. I think Sonny Gray was just, you know, speaking facts to Eno Saris for this article. He said that while he was in New York, their emphasis, the thing that they wanted their pitchers to do was throw a lot of sliders. And he admitted that the slider is his worst pitch. He says he doesn't have control over it. The only thing he really ever tries to do when he throws a slider is he tries to bury it so that maybe a hitter will chase or, you know, it's it's a waste pitch for him if he's up 0-2 or something like that. But the Yankees were telling him, no, we want you to throw more of that. We want you to throw less of your curveball. And if you know anything about Sonny Gray, that is his bread and butter. Telling him to not throw his curveball is basically feeding a piece of kryptonite pie to Superman. Now, obviously, kryptonite you can't make into a pie, but that's neither here nor there. The point is they were doing the opposite of what is good for Sonny Gray. Now, David Bell, whenever he was hired, he said that one of his focuses is not to just simply hone in on what a player does badly and try to improve that. He wants to hone in on what a player does good, and he wants to make it great. So he's not going to do this. And, in fact, Derek Johnson is going to follow along with that as well because they've mentioned, they said, you know, Sonny Gray, at the end of the season, 
was trying to figure things out. He even went up to his coaches in New York and asked them, what's going on? Like, do I, does something look off? Is something bad? And the answer that they simply gave him was, you're getting unlucky. Sonny Gray didn't like that. In fact, in the article, he said he called it BS. And so at the end of the season, he goes back to Vanderbilt, and he gets in with Derek Johnson and Caleb Cotham, ironically, because this was before there was, you know, the Reds were even trading for him. But they start to pitch, you know, they start to coach him up and try and see what's going on. And sure enough, all of the different sliders that the Yankees were trying to have him throw had messed up his curveball. So he got back to throwing his curveball, and he says he's comfortable with that now. And that is really, you know, Eno Saris really talks about the analytics angle from this. I kind of gleaned from the article that the key to Sonny Gray's resurgence is Derek Johnson and Caleb Cotham. That's why the Reds went out and got Sonny Gray after they pulled in these coaches. In fact, it may have even been a reason why they hired the coaches in the first place. They knew they were going to go after Sonny Gray and get him in here. And Eno Saris believes this combination is really going to benefit Sonny Gray because they can use the analytics to say, look, this is what you need to throw because the different cameras and all of the different equipment that they've got to monitor shows the spin rate and the movement and all this other stuff and you know talking about each pitch that he has and they said other than the slider the Yankees really wanted him to focus on his four seam fastball again that is a pitch that while he has it and he knows what he can do with it he doesn't throw it a ton because here's the thing they say that according to the advanced measurements and all this stuff he has a very good spin rate with his four-seam fastball, but that's not everything because his spin efficiency, which Eno Saris says loosely termed spin efficiency, is basically how a pitcher turns the spin rate of a pitch into movement. And he had very low efficiency on his four-seam fastball, so he never really got that rise, that hop-up on his four-seam fastball. So it's just a straight line coming right at the hitter. And where do you want to throw a rising four-seam fastball? Up in the zone. Well, if you're telling to throw, if you're telling a guy who can't get his four-seam fastball to hop up to throw it high, he's going to get hit all over the yard, and that's exactly what happened to him, especially in Yankee Stadium, where a lot of homers were hit off of Sonny Gray. So, you know, they they talked about focusing on that and just knowing what to do with it, but the deal with his four-seamer is he is able to cut it. If, if he, and he even says in the article, if he focuses on calling it a cut fastball and not a four-seam fastball, but a cut fastball, then he is a lot more deadly with it. He says that he can range it anywhere from 88 miles an hour to 94 miles an hour, and he's got really good accuracy, really good control, and he can put really good movement on it. In fact, he recalled that his last relief appearance for the Yankees in 2018, it was during the regular season, they had him go out there for two innings, and he just said, you know, he... he came up with the conclusion that for those two innings, all he was going to do was throw cut fastballs. And he pitched two scoreless innings, and he struck out four guys. So he's got a lot of control over this cutter. And the Eno Saris comes to the conclusion that and, – and if Eno Saris has come to the conclusion, then definitely Derek Johnson and David Bell have – that he just needs a steady diet of curveballs and cutters 
And that is what's going to lead to success for Sonny Gray in 2019. And one of the great things is about Sonny Gray and the fact that the Reds have really had this, you know, new emphasis on analytics and all of the sabermetrics and all that stuff. Sonny Gray loves that. He says that that's stuff that he just eats up. He loves all of the information. He loves that he has all of this different angles of you know numbers and all this different stuff to dissect how he pitches and he can study and use that to his advantage and improve with that man i got to talking about sonny gray for a long time there so i've kind of gone over time a little bit i'll get to the article that c trent rosecrans wrote about the coaches on thursday for a third uh, part of the throwback thursday episode it'll probably be in the second part of the episode but anyway thanks for listening to today's episode make sure you subscribe on itunes spotify google play and stitcher check us out on social media and at our website at lockedonreds.com and don't forget once you get into your car activate your smart device and say hey siri play podcast Locked on Reds, and it'll pull right up for you. You don't even need to scroll through any kind of menus. Voice activation will take care of the rest. Thanks so much for listening, guys. I'm your host, Jeff Carr. This is the Locked on Reds podcast, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked on podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.